You're listening to your superpowered mind on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that investigates the innate power within your brain to create lasting change. Hi, everyone. This is Kristen Maxwell, and you are listening to your superpowered mind. We have a really fun topic today. We're talking to Clarissa Hughes about achieving personal growth through mindfulness. Clarissa is the founder of The Little Breathing Space, a mindful coaching business in Sweden. She spent 28 years as a senior manager in corporations throughout Asia and Europe before burning out herself when she discovered mindfulness. Clarissa is now a Breathworks mindfulness practitioner an I rest yoga nidra teacher, and she helps people around the world remove stress and overwhelm through the practice of mindfulness. And one of the things that I love about what she's doing is that her, in her view, mindfulness goes beyond meditation, that there are practices that we can use to incorporate self-awareness throughout our days. So, Clarissa, welcome to your superpowered mind. Well, thank you very much, Kristen, for inviting me here. It's very exciting to be on the show. Thank you. It's fun. I always love getting to learn from the guests, and I can't wait to learn uh, about some mindfulness today. And my first question to guests is always, what superpower did you uncover as a result of mastering your mind? Well, I mean, I did learn mindfulness um, to become more mindful, to become more aware. And I think the thing I probably learned most of all was that I could have perspective on my life, and that I didn't need to be on top of everything and it, and it controlling my life, whatever the situation was, whether it was stress or unhappiness, that I could have perspective and I use a metaphor, which I said I can become an ocean-going yacht instead of a dinghy because a yacht kind of glides on the water and it kind of, you know, rocks gently from side to side when the waves get a bit rocky, but it doesn't get like the dinghy tossed and turned. So I have perspective and I, I'm able to, you know, make a choice of how I'd like to respond in different situations. Uh, I love that visual of the yacht. You can see it, right, just cutting through some of the, um, the turbulence going on around you. That's a, that's a great visual. So how did you learn this perspective? I always like to um, dive a little bit into the guests' own learning experiences. How did you come to have this perspective? Well, I think the first thing was that, you know, you mentioned, Kristen, that I had a burnout and I was, thought I was going crazy, quite frankly. I couldn't sleep. I had no perspective on my life and I was very irritable and I, my, my health wasn't very good in both my physical and, you know, my sort of psychological health. And by chance, I met a very amazing woman when I was living in Sydney, Australia. And I went on a training course with her, something totally unrelated to mindfulness. But I kept thinking, wow, she's so amazing. She is so calm what is it about her? So, you know, we go to Google and LinkedIn and we kind of check out the person. 
And it said, she's an open ground. She works with open ground. Well, I didn't know what that was. So I Google and it's a mindfulness training business. And they happen to be headquartered about a couple of miles from where I lived in Sydney. So I actually went on their training course and I realized very quickly that I was learning something here that was transformative for my life, that I could make choices, that I could take deeper breaths, that I could connect with myself moment to moment. And that was really the start of the journey. That's about six, seven years ago. And I started to go on a journey then to actually go deeper into mindfulness and train to become a mindfulness teacher. Wow. That's a, so you just sort of um, fell into it by being attracted to a person who, ha, who embodied the calm that you wanted. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I mean, I'd, I'd sort of had, you know, I'd done yoga. Everybody does yoga. And I, yes. I'd had a bit of a, med- well, I think, and I think yoga class is packed with 25 people. You're just doing a kind of a nice version of a physical exercise and a bit of a rest. And I'd done meditation a long, long time ago, but life had intervened, you know, children, husbands, businesses, divorces, they'd all happened. And sort of my meditation had kind of gone a bit out the window. And that's okay. That happens. Life happens. And so it was really meeting Heather that changed all of that. That's great. So what would you say is different about how you live life now as before? you know, before you discovered mindfulness? Well, I think the first thing I would say is that I'm, I have a lot more time, which is crazy because I still only have 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we, still, we still have the same amount of time, but my life is much more paced. I mean, I work for myself. That doesn't mean that I'm less busy. I mean, I obviously don't have a boss screaming, but I have clients and, and, and still a lot to do. But I pace my life. Um, I'm able to prioritize and I say, these are my values in life. Um, These are the things that are important to me. And I don't compromise on that. I don't sort of go, oh, well, I'm meant to go to the gym, but I'm really busy, so I won't. I'm like, this is important to me, so I'm going to do this. And I've ring-fenced those things that are enriching and good for my life, and they're not negotiable to me and they used to be before and that's the route to exhaustion when you start to have to drop off the things that are good for you because you're desperately trying to get through your to-do list or please other people yes that that um feeling of being able to take care of yourself uh is is truly (laughs) necessary and i think a lot of people don't have that you know we have to actually go to a break already um, but I wanted to ask before we broke, where can listeners learn about you? I've got a website called thelittlebreathingspace.com and you can f- learn about me there. And I'm also on Facebook as The Little Breathing Space. Oh, that's great. I love that. We're going to take a quick break, but uh, we've been talking to Clarissa Hughes about achieving personal growth through mindfulness. And when we come back, we're going to be talking to Clarissa Um, to go a little bit deeper into what actually she means by mindfulness and what steps that we can take ourselves. 
Are you here to change the world? Do you talk about things like vibration, frequency, awakening, and consciousness? Are you pretty sure you have superpowers? The Superpower Net is unlike normal coaching programs and conscious communities. We provide training, intuitive guidance, peer-to-peer -peer learning, intensive one-on-one -on -one coaching, and a high vibrational network of people just like you. When you join the Net, you get 24-7 access to a collaborative group of people who support you as you master your personal power and unlock your superpowers. If you're ready to use your superpowers to change the world, then join the Superpower Net today. Visit superpowerexperts.com slash the net to learn more. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Your Superpowered Mind, and we are talking to Clarissa Hughes about mindfulness. So I guess one of my first questions would be, um, so what kinds of mindfulness techniques are there beyond, beyond meditation? Well, I think actually you can be mindful in lots of ways. We can bring mindfulness to, to just stopping and pausing for a moment. You know, we, feel, we can feel throughout our day a bit, a bit overwhelmed sometimes. And, you know, the best thing we can do is put our feet you know, on the flat on the floor. And if we're sitting on a chair, we can really feel we're sitting on that chair and just take a breath. That's being mindful. You're grounding yourself back into your body. And that's a very quick way. That's got nothing to do with meditating. But we can also do things like we can go for a mindful walk and we can pay attention to our feet walking on the ground. We can look up. I mean, most of us run around madly with a bag slung over our shoulder, you know, looking on the looking and hustling around. If we actually walked, a little bit opened up our, our chests, looked up and walked slowly and observed a lot of the good things that you'll see. Even in a city, there'll be trees, there'll be sounds, there'll be things to see. You know, that's mindfulness. And it, it's bringing it into those moments of our day that are things we're going to do anyway. We're going to brush our teeth so we can do it mindfully and just focus on brushing our teeth. What does it feel like, each movement, the sensations? Yes, very simple. And that's, got, that's a lot easier sometimes for people to begin to do those kinds of things than to say, right, you're going to meditate for 10, 15, 20 moments, minutes. That can be actually quite confronting for some people who are not doing that, used to doing that. But doing mindful habits, um, walking, brushing your teeth, watching a kettle boil, um, very good. And, and there's lots of mindfulness things that grandma used to do. Grandma used to knit. Grandma used to embroider. Well, when you're focused, your attention on those kinds of activities, then you're being mindful as well. Uh, so it sounds like it really is a process of almost bringing us it, well into our bodies and feeling our bodies, feeling the world around us. That's absolutely right, Chris. And I think if I use, you know, with my students, I use a model that was developed at the University of Oxford. And it, and it says we're trying to outthink our problems. So we go into a conceptual verbal mode, you know, and that's we're very good at that as humans. We're problem solving, goal seeking, um, verbalizing, strategizing, and that can make us more stressed. But when we move into a sensory perceptual way of viewing the world, 
then we calm down, we feel more connected, we're in the present moment. So using all our senses, which are here and free for us to use at any time, we can begin to change the way our nervous system is working, we're changing the hormone balances in our body, and we're doing that very quickly. Wow. So how does, how does our hormone balance, as somebody who's um, uh, a female of a certain age going through some changes and having three teenage daughters, um, <laughs> hormones, <laughs> hormones happen in our house. I, I'm, I'm curious, how, how does being mindful change the hormone balance or, you know, just generally? Well, I'm not a scientist, at, but... Any, at any time of our lives, I mean, when we are stressed, um, the adrenals take over and we produce adrenaline and cortisol. And they're absolutely fantastic in short doses. I mean, you know, we have to have a fight, flight, freeze mechanism. It's our survival mechanism. Um, fantastic when you were a cave woman running around, you know. Um, but when you are responding like that towards an email, it's not beneficial. And by grounding ourselves back into our sensory, you know, perceptual space, we're actually activating a more soothing hormones like oxytocin, and they counterbalance the cortisol and adrenaline in our body. So we reach a kind of hormone balance in the body. Ah. So it's actually oh. balancing them out. And it's counter, counteracting the negative effects of the cortisol, particularly. So I, it's very funny for me because I am such a, you know, very intellectual and, and things. And it, for, it really helps me to understand the, the chemical responses of what's happening. Because it, sometimes there's this sense of if we're going into our body, you know, we're just you know, just change, you know, fooling our minds a little bit. But to understand that you're actually making physical changes in your body is, is uh, very validating to the it, approach it, for me. Exactly. And I think that's what we found, obviously, because there's so much scientific investigation. What we're learning is that, you know, we are shifting from the sympathetic um, nervous system, which is the the whole sort of get up and do, to the parasympathetic, which is much more relaxing and it makes us feel safe and and, and secure. So there is a, there is a change in our nervous system, and over time, obviously, when we practice mindfulness, we are changing our brains as well. So we are reducing the the size of the amygdala, which is the fight flight response part of our brain and we are um, enlarging the prefrontal cortex which is more about decision making um, processes of, of the brain so we do that and we rebuild neural pathways so that we allow more positive instead of the amygdala which is all about our negative reaction we're actually shifting our brains quite a lot wow yeah so there is a lot of science behind it that is really really fascinating so so personally, you went from being senior management at, at very large corporations. What do you do now? I'm a mindfulness coach. I work for myself. Um, I coach uh, people one-to-one -one in, in private uh, clinics who have had burnouts, who may also be suffering from not only the kind of psychological sides of stress, but they have 
physical symptoms. So a lot of them have developed aches, pains, digestive issues, um, hormonal imbalance issues. And it's very difficult to know whether it's the condition that comes first or the stress, but the two are always joined up and they, they can often be very unwell, um, but they're not unwell enough to need a doctor all the time. But though I do work very closely with other psychologists and psychiatrists and, and doctors to help people back on their feet. And I coach them in mindfulness techniques and particularly how they can change their behavior and their relationship to themselves to have the ability to feel karma and to be much more compassionate to themselves. That's a big part of mindfulness is ultimately you're developing self-compassion for yourself. So you're not so hard. They're often very hard on themselves. I was very hard on myself. I had impossible standards to meet. And I always thought I was failing. Well, we rewire a lot of that negative self-talk and sense of self in, in the mindfulness practice. Wow. So how, how do you do that? Like, what, tell us just generally, how so, do you start to help people be more self-compassionate after decades of beating themselves up? <laughs> decades is absolutely true, Kristen. Mm-hmm. They have, we have decades. I think, I think the first thing we, I do work with people is sometimes beyond awareness, I'm working on an acceptance of the situation that we're in now because we can't really start to to turn to positivity because I'm not about positive affirmations and stuff like that. That's a statement. Um, I'm about helping people to then once we can accept that we are here in whatever situation we are, we're not resisting the negative in our life. We can then learn to turn to positive experiences. I do use a lot of gratitude practices, um, loving kindness meditations, which um, we know from research at Harvard University can very be, be very transformative for people's sense of self and con- kindness towards themselves. And I also get them to make practices. I use a practice called HEAL, which is to have a positive experience, to stay with it longer than we do. Normally we go, oh, that's nice, but we really enrich that. We absorb it. We like we feel it go into our body. And then we work on more love and connection towards ourselves. And I get them to do those kinds of simple practices of looking for the good every day in small and everyday situations. And they practice and practice like that um, with a combination of meditation and just out in daily life. And they start to look for the good. And the more you do that, the more you notice the good, the more you do it. And then the loving kindness meditation. So you start to say, you know, I, I'm loving myself. I'm kind to myself. Can I be well? Can I be happy? Ah, okay. So you, you take them through a, a process of, you know, essentially rewiring their brains into starting to look for the positive rather than the negative. And then the meditation. And how do... It's a, there's two different approaches. What's the benefit of going at it in a couple different ways? I think we have to firstly be able to look for the positive. It's very hard to, you know, because that's the first stage. The first stage is to learn to look for the positive. We're starting to open the brain up to more positivity in our lives when it's been so hardwired to always looking for the negative. And then we put self-compassionate um, acceptance into that as well. So that the two work very, very hand in hand. Wow. Yes, that sounds like it could be um, very helpful for just about everybody I know. 
really. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're very good, and particularly as women, I think we're often we're very hard on ourselves. We live in a world that's huge on judging what you look like and comparative society, and I think social media makes that worse, actually. Um, and we've also taught to be very nice. I mean, especially in sort of, you know, I'm in my 50s, and I think we were brought up to be nice, not to be a diva, um, to say yes when really you'd like to say no, and to please people. So there's quite a big journey of having to say, no, it's okay to put yourself first and to love yourself and to care for yourself. Not in a superficial way, but in a very, in a very meaningful way. Wow, that's lovely. I, I would love, really, seeing the teen culture right now, I would love it if schools would teach this to kids because and I can some, see them do. being so hard. <laughs> <laughs> and some do. I mean, the mindfulness is coming into schools. I don't work with school children, I, but, but mindfulness is beginning to come into school, but it's still a little bit focused on concentration and, and, and if they're teaching people to focus. And I don't think we've quite... Uh, gone the compassion route and that's true in business too there's a lot about productivity and creativity but compassion really is the key because we start to care for ourselves and that almost immediately creates a situation where we start to care for others we start to want to support others much more um, through the process of compassion right do you find that people have uh, a hard time making the time or even sort of incorporating some of these into their lives, you know, some of these statements, just even a hard time admitting it to themselves? Very, very much so. I, I, I think the acceptance part is actually, that's why acceptance comes before the compassion. And I think if we can break through the acceptance barrier, then they're kind of able to, to take on the, the, on the compassion part. I think most people, once they get to that part, there's, they love doing, you know, turning to the pleasant and gratitude. And self-compassion feels good to do. You feel those benefits. I think in the research that was done by Emma Sippelar in, in Harvard, she said nine, nine weeks of a compassion pro, project or doing the, the loving-kindness meditation – fundamentally changed the people in her studies they were they were now wired to being much kinder to themselves ah that's lovely so many of my clients and friends and we it's it's a constant um no matter what we do it's not quite good enough which is and then we pass that on to our children and then so it's a very um it's a lovely thought <laughs> <laughs> and it seems to work um and i think there's enough evidence now to know we've got enough kind of really well-known big you know neuroscientists and other researchers in this field really demonstrating the power of the loving kindness meditation which has been around in the buddhist philosophy forever i mean it's a fundamental meditation practice in buddhism right and it's been i think that's one of the biggest changes i'm seeing is it used to be that meditation, there was a sense that it was really very spiritual and very out there. And now this almost becoming more mainstream. And don't you actually work with corporations to set up some mindfulness practices? 
Indeed, I do. I've worked with some very big corporations in Australia. I work here with a, quite a number of well-known Swedish corporations, and I help them either we have introductory days on mindfulness, but generally once their staff have had an introductory day, they want to do more training, which is great. And I go in, I give them you know, a basic training program on mindfulness so people get a sense to work with it and then help them to be able to continue to have regular mindfulness practices inside their corporation so they can keep that going themselves within their, within their business. And people absolutely love it. It's like people are waiting for this to happen. Yes, I can imagine just to be, give the space to, to learn how to breathe, like I breathe even as I say it. <laughs> <laughs> to breathe, to be able to pace their days, to be able to um, manage. I mean, I worked with one, a very big corporation. It's an American corporation, they're global. And they literally went from nine to five, just back-to-back meetings all day. Those people were frantic. There was no time to breathe, stop, um, catch up. And then people would go home and carry on um, working. And they were actually realizing this wasn't sustainable. And I worked with them on a mindfulness program. At the same time, they did a lot of changes in their um, human resources department to say, look, people need to pace their days more. They introduced standing desks and and the people could literally leave if they had, you know, soccer match or a child to pick up. You know, that was like that became acceptable even at senior levels that you can't sort of stood up in the meeting and said, actually, I have to go now. So me, I was working with them and that kind of went hand in hand with their business processes. Ah, that's, I hope that, um, I, I realize that, that there must be uh, the bigger corporations who have a little bit more budget, but it would be lovely to see corporations figuring out a way to uh, bring that culture in. Uh, all corporations yeah and I think you know that's important because I mean at the moment what we what I see a lot and I'm co-partner here with a very great um, health coach who used to play soccer for Sweden and he says to me we've got to stop getting companies to just dish out a gym card that nobody uses so he and I are a bit of an omission together together with we've got some other co-partners to say look you know, um, we can come in and we can offer you more of a holistic health and wellness program, mindfulness, the right kind of exercise, supporting the people to eat well, and a host of other things is going to make more difference. And I think any company who cares about their staff can do that because we can tailor the cost and the size of the program to do that. Wow, that's great. So for those of us who do not work for corporations, we it then falls to us to... Um, to figuring out how to take care of ourselves and make those kind of changes. And one thing I always love to ask is, do you have any tips or suggestions that listeners could start to implement themselves to start maybe getting um, more mindfulness, more self-compassion or acceptance into their own lives? Oh, definitely. I think meditation is and i do think that there are some great supportive apps out there so i'm i do think that calm and headspace are a great place to get some foundational mindfulness meditation practice in and that is just that you start by making a little pause in the day that's for you and then that's the most fundamental start because that is both 
mindfulness practice so you're getting used to that breathing and calming but actually by making that time you're building some self-compassion because you're saying well this is my this is my time even if it's only 15 minutes it's my time and I'm going to ring fence that time so that's one of the important sort of little things to put into your day and my other tip to people is to take a good look about the things that really nourish and sustain you. You know, get a list out and write out a list of all the things that sustain you and that you can actually do. And then on the other side of the paper, like divide it into write down all the things that drain you, you know, your drainers, the things that aren't so great, people, places, situations. And then look and see how many of those drainers you could change because sometimes they're little things. You know, they're like, I sit in the traffic all the time or, you know, there's just work out whatever it is. I mean, it's difficult when it's people because we can't always change people, but we could be their particular TV programs or even too much social media. Could I make some short adjustments here so that I've got a list of prioritized nourishers or sustainers in my life and a shortened list of drainers we can all do that quite quickly in our lives because suddenly we're prioritizing some things that are really good for us and we say these are important to me whether they're eating healthily or they're my regular walk with the dog whatever they are put them in and do those and then reduce some of the things that make you feel tired because then your energy is is better and with the middle short meditation practice, you know, 10, 15 minutes a day, it's the, it's the start on the journey. And it's not so hard to do that. Ah, that, that is great advice. The, um, just really getting clear on what you're doing in your day that drains you, that does not make you feel good. I, I do know personally that I spend a lot of time in the car living in Southern California and driving kids around. And when I discovered that I could listen to, well, in lifting podcasts and also books on tape, really inspirational ones. It, I literally said it changed my life because I looked forward to getting into the car. When the kids weren't there, I could listen to information that where I was learning and growing. So the time in the car alone became growth time rather than draining time. And beautiful. <laughs> yes, it was it was just a simple shift and it made a huge difference. And I I still do it. I key up great inspirational podcasts before I drive anywhere or it's it's really been a, a silly but meaningful change. So Clarissa, it's been really fun um, talking to you and I love getting really an understanding of of um, how mindfulness can actually really make changes in our lives and our brains and our hormones and then that that are reflected on the outside i thank you so much for that and can you um, remind the listeners once again what where your website is so where they can find you and learn more about you indeed Kristen. people can find me at the little and i'm also on facebook as the little breathing space Great. Thank you so much. And all of you listeners, I hope that you um, can remember to uh, take the time to figure out what nourishes you and what drains you and check out some of these uh, meditation apps and work the time into your day. Uh, until next time, 
but go out and remember that you do hold the power to change and transform your world. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Okay. The recording has stopped. Thank you. Thank you. That was great. Good. Yes, that was great. I really do love, um, for some reason, I mean, I do a lot of mindfulness stuff, but it really does help for me to understand the physical parts of it. That I don't know why. <laughs> I think it helps if you need it to have credibility in that. Of course, that that is the thing that that does make the difference, and I think that's that's where that sort of works. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today. 